This morning we're reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 11. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. Thanks, Kathy. Well, again, it's my privilege to open the scriptures, so why don't we ask God to speak to us? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in this passage you remind us of the great foundational truths of the Christian message, the means by which we can be saved, rescued from sin, rescued from death to eternity rescued from being enemies to being friends, in fact, even more, to be children of God. Lord, uh, we come this morning um, in various uh, maybe frames of mind. Some come maybe with some anxiety and stress because of circumstances. Some may come with uh, fear due to ill health or uh, struggles in relationship. Some of us come um, in, in good form and good shape. All of us come, though, Lord, and we come because we need to hear your word. May your word speak into our lives this morning and help us to be really clear about the reality that we need to stand on the gospel and let that gospel shape every single bit of who we are and how we are. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, where do people look for meaning? Where do they look for significance, for joy, for contentment? Well, people pursue all sorts of options and alternatives, don't they? Uh, some people seek relationships. Um, they're looking for love, looking for a marriage or partnership. They think the relationships will uh, be the answer to find true contentment and peace and meaning in life. Others pursue career or an education 
and they believe that they want to climb the corporate ladder, they want to reach a level where uh, they can feel that they're contributing to society and making um, something significant happen. Others do it through surrounding themselves with possessions. People feel like having things, a nice home, a nice car, um, they're the things that will bring a sense of contentment and joy. Even a nice garden, that never crosses my mind, but for some people it's a really important aspect. Uh, Pleasure. Um, I once worked in the United States of America and one thing I noticed about the difference between Australians and uh, my friends in the US, that they thought work in and of itself was a terrific thing to do. Um, Work was a goal in and of itself. I think we Aussies aren't, aren't quite like that. I think our goal for work is so we can play. Um, That's why we call the land of the long weekend by some. And so it is that pleasure is a big big issue for we Aussies. Pleasure to be able to go on travel, uh, to be able to do things that will bring us um, happiness and contentment through pleasure, indulging, pampering ourselves. Some pursue goals and purpose in meaning through fame, success and popularity. It may be they do this on the sports field. It could be they do it through a political gain or through just being very popular or maybe even through entertainment and skills that they have. Some seek it through religion, through spirituality. They have a, a deep desire to um, be able to perform and that's where they'll find their significance Um, and through serving God, through being diligent and dedicated in their their obedience and their spirituality, their religion, and it would bring them a sense of peace and contentment. Well, there's some, some of the things. You may have other aspects that you would observe in other people, but how satisfactory are they? How effective and enduring are these choices that people make? Well, it doesn't take much of a, a think to realise they're not always as satisfying as one might believe. Relationships are hard work. Ask my wife. Um, It's a lot easier for me in our marriage than it is for her. I can assure you I know myself too well. Marriages break down. Relationships can often be very fragile. What about career? Well, there are no guarantees. There are redundancies. There are pandemics. There are accidents. And then there's retirement. For some people to come to retirement, they suddenly look at their life and think, well, I have no meaning. Where do I find my direction now? If that's their foundation, if that's the place on which they've stood to find their joy and satisfaction. Possessions, well, they simply wear out. I had a friend in the United States said, I've just bought a trash compactor that takes 10 pounds of rubbish and turns it into 10 pounds of rubbish. It changes its shape, but it hasn't really... There's still 10 pounds of rubbish. <laughs> Possessions do wear out. They become obsolete. They need replacing. It's not the, not the place to find your significance. And fame and success and popularity, well, you might not get elected next time. Uh, there'll be some more beautiful, handsome and stronger actor that will take your role in the future or some better performer... You may have a statue built because you're famous, but then people will pull it down in another generation because we don't think that's important anymore. What about religion? Well, have you got the right one? Have you done enough spirituality, enough religion to be sure 
that you have a relationship with God that will last into eternity. Seems to me that all Western human society pathways for meaning, significance, joy and contentment appear fragile and temporary. Are there more secure, uh, more reliable foundations for finding meaning, significance, joy and contentment? I know there are some things that are very solid foundations um, that we, that people, are secure truths, if you like. One is this, mums never stop being mums. I am 69 years of age, my mother is 96, and every time I leave her to drive home, she lives in Foster, she says, always drive safely. Now, it shouldn't irritate me, but I'm 69, mum. Why are you still telling me to drive safely? I do drive safely. But sure enough, she will never stop being my mum. That's a sure foundation. But there's a firmer foundation, which doesn't irritate me, that I don't mind being reminded about. And we were reminded about them last Easter, last week. It never grows old because... Easter brings me to the foundational foundational centre of Christianity, the twin pillars of the faith of the church. Good Friday's cross of Christ and Easter Sunday's rising of Christ from death make up the essential contents of the Christian message. Listen again to verses 3 and 5 of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul writes, inspired by the Spirit, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. The text provides the two essential building blocks of the Gospel of Christ, Gospel of the Christian faith. On the one hand, the first one is Christ died and he was buried. The second, Christ was raised and he appeared to many. These are to the Christian faith what one plus one equals two is to maths and what the ABC is to Christian language. Foundational. Well, let's give our attention to each of these in turn. First of all, dead and buried. Let me be perfectly clear that while the Christian faith is founded on eyewitness accounts of the historical events, those events are about a person, Jesus. Christianity, before it's anything else, is about a relationship with God through Christ. It's not primarily about dogma. It isn't primarily about a philosophy, although it may be all of those things. But it is foundationally about a relationship with God that comes through the person of Christ. My own personal testimony is this, that I am a Christian because of my complete conviction that Jesus lived a perfect life, that he died on a Roman cross, and that he rose to death, rose from death to life, and appeared to many. That is fundamental That's my great conviction that those things are true. But I also want to say that I'm a Christian because I have met Jesus. 
I have a personal relationship with him that is continued on through the work of the Spirit in my life. It's real. But let's for the moment put the spotlight on the Good Friday cross and the words, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried. I'm not sure where the phrase dead and buried came from. It may be from this text. But when we say something is dead and buried, what do we mean? Well, the idea of a flat earth is dead and buried, isn't it? There are some people, I believe, in the US who belong to the Flat Earth Society, but they're really not quite hinged, I would think. Stephen Abbott is perfect. That idea is dead and buried. It, in fact, it never had any credence whatsoever. It's finished. There's, there's no concept. Any one of us is perfect. We know that. We know it's true. To say something is dead and buried is to say it has no standing in truth and reality. So what's clear is that the first act of Christianity that our faith stands on is this. The crucifixion was effective. It delivered what it promised, suffering, then death. Anyone who had the misfortune of being nailed to this horrendous vehicle of torture by the Romans would not be coming home, not least Jesus Christ. The first gospel fact is Christ died and the confirmation or proof he was buried. The four historical accounts of Jesus' crucifixion and burial the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, all clearly record that his followers and enemies alike believed that on the first Good Friday evening, Christ Jesus was finished. That is to say, he was dead and buried. But in this text, God is telling us that Christ's cross was effective in another way. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The claim is that Jesus Christ's death was fulfilling or satisfying a spectacular spiritual promise of God. One dating back through the centuries, indeed we're going to read a text that's 600 years old before Jesus actually hung on the cross. And it's extraordinary how these words are fulfilled in Christ. The Bible is saying that the gospel is good news, but it is not new news. It is fulfillment. It is substance coming out of promise. Here's just one of these ancient scriptures from Isaiah 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And at this point, you all break out into Colin's con. Baba, do baba, whatever it is. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isn't that amazing? 
600 years before Christ died on the cross, the promise was given of a person who would come, a suffering servant. The death of Christ had one main agenda, our disobedience. Prior to his death, Jesus had shared a meal with his disciples, one we symbolically replicate in the Holy Communion. In anticipation of his death, he gave them bread, saying, This is my body, which is for you. In anticipation of his death, he gave them that bread. Jesus is saying, I will be standing in for you. Our turning from God's path, our choosing our own way, merit death. Jesus Christ's perfect life didn't merit death. So Christ dies in our place as a replacement or a substitute. In action movies like James Bond or Star Wars, uh, stunt people are brought into play because nobody wants a multi-million dollar star hurting themselves pulling off a stunt. So they get someone to do it for them. They get someone who's roughly the same size, who can mimic their mannerisms in some ways, and who can actually do the deed and not die in the process. That's what stunt men are about, or stunt people are about. So it is that Jesus is our substitute, but his death was no stunt. He was like us in that he's fully human, and he, unlike us, though, he is sinless. And therefore, he could stand in for us, paying the price of our sins. So the first foundation of authentic Christian faith that Christians stand on is this. The Good Friday foundation stone is Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. This is brilliant news. Hence, Good Friday. But sin, substitute message of the cross, is only one side of something like Christ's terrible death and how it could become so terrific. How something so tragic could become so tremendous. How something so final could remain so foundational. The other side is tied up in the fact that while Good Friday meant Christ's death, Sunday was coming. You might recall I said Hollywood selects a substitute for action scenes who is not only similar in build and capable of performing the necessary action, but very importantly can survive. It is Christ's survival from death which is the second and unique solid foundation of faith. He is raised and he is encountered. We read, For what I received I pass on to you as a first importance, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. Here we see the second foundational fact of the gospel. Christ rising from the dead on the Sunday and confirmed by his many subsequent appearances. Now this is an impressive number of people who didn't simply see Jesus, but they encountered him. That is, they spoke with him. 
They touched him. They ate with him. It is the bodily, not the spiritual resurrection of Jesus that is clear. The list of encounters is added to in the gospel narratives. This is no resuscitation. He was dead. This is no reincarnation that he would have a different life and then have to die again. No, no, this is a resurrection, alive forevermore. This is not an hallucination, the wishful thinking of deluded people. 500 people do not have the same hallucination. No one expected him. They weren't wishing he was alive. They knew he was dead. No, this is resurrection to a new eternal life with a new identifiable but different body that will no longer experience pain, suffering and death. Now, it needs to be said, the recording of these uh, encounters or appearances doesn't amount to mathematical proof. I can't produce Jesus Christ and pull him up here and you can come up and touch him. No, we can't do that. What we have is evidential proof, and our whole court system is built on this, that you can gather witnesses, you can gather people, even though you didn't see the event, you can get enough witnesses so that in the end you can say, beyond reasonable doubt, this happened. And so it is. The resurrection is beyond reasonable doubt. Now, how God, through Paul, draws our attention to the fact that many among the 500 were still living. Why do you think he does that? It's like he's saying, oh, don't believe me? Go and check it out. <laughs> I'm not the only one who's seen him, who's still alive. There are many around. Of course, we can't do that any longer. <laughs> but what we do know is that those first disciples of Jesus were terrified when he died. They were held up behind closed doors in fear that they might be next. But once Jesus has appeared to them, they were transformed and empowered. Uh, Robert Cleath, a writer some years ago, wrote these words. The lives and message of these disciples changed the course of human history. No reasonable explanation has ever been given to account for their transformed lives except their own. They had seen Jesus alive. But as with the first foundation, Christ's death, the second, his rising to life, was promised hundreds of years earlier. It too was according to the scriptures. Paul is referring in this regard to words like those of David, the second Messiah, applying them now to the last Messiah, Jesus. From Psalm 16, verses 9 to 11. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. Jesus did die, but his body did not see decay. He was raised to reign at God's right hand in glory. What a comeback. What a comeback. In 2004, Jeff Ugal had retired. He suffered depression and put on 40 kilos. But in 2008, he decided to make a comeback. Getting to the 2010 Games would have been a comeback enough. 
But to win two gold medals was an extraordinary comeback. But it was nothing compared to Christ's comeback. And on the basis of Jesus' comeback from death and the movement he started, we must say it is the most extraordinary comeback of history. And the good news is because of his resurrection, his comeback we can now come back into relationship with God and we can come back from death to resurrection to spend eternity with our Heavenly Father and his Son, the Lord Jesus. Now before we turn now and then look at how, we, how these two truths should shape who we are, let me first try and tie them together and see how they belong together. Concrete foundations for buildings are basically made up of two elements, reinforcing steel and concrete. The reinforcing steel is put down first, but in and of itself, it, it isn't very strong. It can't hold things up. It's shaky. But once you put the concrete in and it's set, those two things make a very solid base on which you can stand firmly and you can build massive structures. They have to be together for the foundation to work as a safe place. So with Christ's death and rising. The resurrection guarantees the cross is a strong foundation for forgiveness. It tells us the cross worked and that Jesus is King and Lord. On these spiritual foundations, Christians have taken their stand since the first century. But how does these wonderful truths shape who we are? How can they become a place for security, for significance and joy in our lives? Well, let me come to my last and final point. To be, this is something that is believed and it brings salvation. Verse 2 we read, By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. The Bible really doesn't use the language of once saved, always saved, yet I do hear Christians bandy it around as though it was in the Bible. Now the Bible's stress is not on once saved, always saved, but once saved, keep being saved, keep living with Jesus, keep holding on to Jesus. Rather, just like a building doesn't move from its foundation, so believers don't ever stop tenaciously constructing their lives on the two elements of our gospel foundations we've just pondered. Let me try and illustrate what I mean. Uh, many of us will go to the beach and swim between the flags. Uh, that's the safe place. But when you go to the beach to go swimming, um, sometimes even between the flags there can still be rips, there can be rough waves, there can be shifting sands, but it's a safe place because there are lifeguards and they're watching and looking out for our safety. Sometimes, of course, between the flags, it's really safe. There's hardly any waves. The conditions change at the beach. I want us to think that one of those flags represents the death of Jesus Christ for our, on our behalf, for our sins. And the other represents his resurrection, guaranteeing forgiveness and eternity for us. And the safe place to live your life is between those two flags. It doesn't mean that life will always be like at the beach. 
easy. It won't be like that. Sometimes it'll be rough. For some of you, life is rough and tough at the moment. For some of you, life's going on great. Some people come to church in grief. Some come to church with great joy. That's life. It's the way things are. But the scriptures remind us, and they're like the lifeguards, and we to each other are like the lifeguards. We call people to swim between the flags, to keep swinging, swinging and trusting in this safe place where Christ died and Christ rose. It's a safe place to live. It's a safe place to build a life of meaning and satisfaction and joy that will last into eternity. There are those who swim outside the flags. Uh, there are some people who are just ignorant. They don't know about the flags. What Bondi rescues, there are lots of those sort of people around. And there are people who just say, I don't need to swim between the flags. I'm a strong swimmer. I'll do what I want to do. But all of those people outside the flags need to be encouraged and called to come into the flags, to come to the safe place where Jesus can be found and where a relationship for eternity is located. Where are you swimming? Are you always swimming between the flags? Maybe there are some people here or some people watching online who actually think this can't be for me. I've done things in my life that are so terrible, that are unforgivable. Now, that's just not true. I think that is why Paul himself says that he came into the faith and saw Jesus as one abnormally born. That is, he was in the midst of persecuting, he was in the midst of killing Christians, having them thrown in prison, and then the risen Christ appeared to him and his life was transformed. And then he gave himself... Listen to what he says. I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Two observations about Paul's testimony. One, no one is beyond God's saving grace. If a man who had Christians, had, had Christians thrown in prison and killed can be saved from judgment, anyone can. Secondly, God's saving grace calls for radical commitment. The generosity of God in Christ motivates total surrender of self so that every fibre of our being, we single-mindedly serve Christ and his saving purposes in the world. So I ask again, where are you and I swimming? Between God's flags, the foundation for spiritual safe swimming or not? If not, then isn't it time to stop building our lives on worldly foundations? Whether you're in this auditorium or sitting in your lounge room at home or maybe sitting at a coffee shop watching this on an iPad or phone. Right there, right now, we can surrender and give our lives to Christ like last week I have another prayer this week because I don't want anyone to be left out um, this prayer that will be on the screen I want to invite you to say it will simply say three things like last week it will say I need forgiveness because I build my life on wrong foundations I've been looking for meaning and satisfaction and joy in the wrong place I need forgiveness for that 
And I'm so grateful, I'm thankful that there's a way back because of what Jesus did for these two foundational truths, death and resurrection. And I need your help, just as Paul said. He worked hard, but he was only by the grace of God he was able to work hard. We need God's grace day by day to keep serving him. So I'm going to pray this prayer, and if it's suitable for you, I would encourage you to say, it's not magic. Uh, God knows your heart. It may be you've been a a swim between the flags person, but occasionally, recently, you found yourself drifting. The rip of life has taken you outside the flags. Maybe you need to come back. Let me pray, and I invite you to share these words. Dear God, I now realise I've built my life on insecure worldly foundations. Please forgive me. Thank you for sending Christ Jesus. I now know his death and rising to life are a place of both forgiveness and a safe place to stand. Please assist me from today to let your kindness shape all I do and say. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I want to ask you to let me know about it. If you're online, use the, use the uh, connect at my, my fac.org.au or use the um, SMS code. Uh, but if you're here in the auditorium, if you've prayed that prayer, I'll have these in my hand. I'll be standing in the foyer in the welcome lounge. and Just come and ask me for one, just as a way of letting me know you've prayed that prayer. It's a booklet which will reinforce the teachings that we've looked at today and help you continue to grow but for those who are already Christians can I just say this is not a message that we can take lightly yes it gives us solid foundations for living our life for making the right choices but it calls us like Paul to have a heart for those swimming outside the flags can I urge and encourage you to keep calling people to swim between the flags Don't hesitate when you see people drifting away to encourage them to come back. So this morning I stand in the tradition of preachers throughout the ages in saying, by this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we know that the things the world locates its meaning, significance and joy in is fragile and feeble and will fail ultimately. Only the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ are foundations that will last for eternity. Father, may we build our lives and our families on that, as the family this morning promised to do so for their two boys, Timothy and Alexander. May we build our lives on these foundations and may we have a heart for those outside the kingdom that they might come to believe and trust in the Lord Jesus. Amen.